0: You're listening to the Brick by Brick podcast, where we take you from the ground up on real estate investing. Join us on our entrepreneurial voyage through the world of flipping houses,
1: managing rental property, and building a real estate empire. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Brick by Brick podcast. I am John Errico here as always with Ryan Goldfarb. Um, It's been a little bit since we recorded due to uh, some worldwide issues that we were suffering from for the past uh, 12 months, (laughs) but we're back. And we are very excited to have two special guests with us today. Ryan, I'll let you introduce them.
0: Yeah, really excited to introduce Josh Aidingon and Donato Satani of DXE Properties. They're uh, multifamily investor's focusing on the uh, in the southeast region of the United States.
1: We're going to be doing two episodes today. So if you're listening to this, this is part one of two different episodes. But the first episode is going to focus on how they got to where they are today in the real estate world. And then the second episode will focus on the nuts and bolts of their operation. Donato, can you
0: start start off just telling us a little about your backstory, how you ended up in real estate and what your professional careers looked like?
2: So I got started... I feel like I've told this story a whole lot lately, but one more time is okay, right? I started, <laughs> I went to school for uh, engineering, but realized in school that I really never wanted to actually practice engineering. So went into New York City construction industry and got the opportunity to uh, start building some pretty cool buildings. While doing that, I, I spent my time working with the owners reps of those buildings an awful lot and then realized that hey I love construction but I also love the owner side I can do both so let me go back to school I got a degree in real estate development from NYU and really switched over to uh, really representing owners of institutional type properties in New York City from there got a whole lot of experience doing uh, high-end construction and big tall towers in New York City you know, really, always wanted to do something on my own, though. Uh, so Josh and I used to hold a, a little get together in New York City. Uh, we started that. I, I want to say around two thousand nine, two thousand ten, and we'd do it. You know, we'd say once a month, but it was really a couple times a year. A couple like-minded people would get together and just talk shop, talk real estate, talk about starting our own businesses. And finally, one day, our mutual friend James and I were talking, and we. We're just, I was telling him, hey, I really got to do something. He's like, call Josh. He just went out on his own. Why don't we all go get some drinks? So we went out one night in New York City. After a long day of work, I was super depressed about, you know, everything going on. And uh, we had a couple drinks, got to start talking, doing business. And all of a sudden, Josh goes to the bathroom. He comes back out. He's like, I got an idea. You quit your job. Come with me. We'll rebrand the company. We'll make it 50-50, and uh, we'll just go buy, start buying real estate. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's kind of serious, but uh, yeah, that, that kind of sounds awesome. So I went home that night, got home like 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, had work the next day, and woke up my wife, and she's like, what are you doing? I was like, "Hun, i I'm quitting my job, and I'm going to start a business with Josh. And she's like, you had too much to drink. Go back to bed. <laughs> So I was like, no, seriously, I'm serious about this. She's like, let's talk in the morning. You had too much to drink. Go back to bed. So next morning comes, I'm like rip roaring 6am, you know? And, uh, she's like, so what were you doing last night? I was like, I'm starting new business. You got to get on board with this. I really want to do it. And she's like, just slow down, slow down, slow down. So anyways, over the next couple of weeks and months, Josh and I really put together a plan, right? And, uh, both talked to our wives obviously. And, uh, Off we ended up going with DxE Properties, and today uh, we mostly invest in the southeast. We purchased uh, over 200 units last year, and uh, continue to uh, grow this business of ours.
1: Donato, can can I ask about your experience before you got involved? You said you were involved in construction. What exactly, like, what was the manner of your involvement in construction? Like managing projects or engineering, or?
2: Yeah, correct. So I was a project manager first at Turner Construction. Uh, I was a project manager in the Yankee Stadium in the Bronx, New York. I was a project manager at their Madison Square Garden uh, renovation project. Those two projects alone were each about a billion dollars each. And then I also got to work on 432 Park Avenue in New York City, which is the 1,400-foot-tall skyscraper in the middle of Manhattan I worked on Hudson Yards, which is wow. a $20 billion project on the west side. And uh, finally, right before going out on my own with Josh, I was doing a redevelopment project with uh, Google, which was about a $2 billion redevelopment on the far west side of Manhattan, which is uh, that building just got topped out a couple of months ago and glass is going up on it right now.
1: A project manager in the context of a big construction project is like you're managing a specific subset of a team or you're managing like the finances, people, materials, like what does that look like? Yeah.
2: So my, my expertise was really to do with, uh, I was very good at understanding the financing and the, the budgeting as well, as well as, um, call it entitlement process. Mm hmm. I was on a team on all these projects, but I'd be the guy working with the architects, uh, figuring out the best way to file things with the city, to get it approved the quickest, cost us the, the least amount of money. And then from there, I was usually a budget manager on all the projects that I was on, just because I kind of fell into that role and, you know, knew the allocation of resources and,
1: you know, who needs to get paid what? So, when you were starting this venture, was it your assumption that you were going to use those same skills at your at your new real estate venture, like you were going to be doing entitlements and financing and all that, or was it a different a different avenue of real estate that you wanted to pursue?
2: You know, Josh convinced me early on that we should be investing in multifamily in the southeast, which has nothing to do with uh-huh. <laughs> building skyscrapers in New York City. So, I'd say I somewhat learned the new skill set, but I did go to grad school. To learn how to underwrite properties, and learn how to syndicate deals and put them together. So I think I had the backbone there, but really it was, uh, you know, definitely some on-the-job training with Josh on, you know, how to do this at an entrepreneurial level rather than when I was working in New York City. I had all the resources at my disposal, no matter what. Got a problem? Call the high-priced lawyer. Right. Got a problem? You know, call this consultant and. You know, right now we're a much smaller company, so we got a problem, we figure it out first. If it becomes a big problem, then we call a lawyer because it's our money, so we don't want to just spend
1: it all the time. Josh, could you share your your background? So I have a bunch of questions about how you got started, but I'd love to hear your background story about how uh, you got involved as well.
3: Out of college, I
4: was working for a software company always liked the idea of real estate i I was thinking whether it's buying a two-family house and renting out half of it maybe i would do that never ended up doing that i did a bunch of networking read a lot of books i read like the rich dad poor dad
1: stuff and all that whole yeah i got got trapped and trapped in
4: but i went did some networking was through sort of Winding we path was connected to a property manager out in Cincinnati. We hit off. That property manager identified a property that he thought was compelling. It was um, 20 units in pretty rough part of Cincinnati that was going through a foreclosure process. Um, linked me up with the bank, and we ended up purchasing it as a short sale. It was 175 thousand dollars, and we worked together with that property manager to to turn it turned around. It, it was it occupied by four tenants of the 20, of them paying. I think it needed about $200,000 worth of work. And we did that. It ended up being almost like a, about a medium-term flip. I think we held it for a little over a year. But that was my taste. And I was like, oh, this is, this is great.
1: And you were still working full-time while you are doing this?
4: I was working full-time while doing it. Somewhere along the way, I said, this is... I need mean, to get into real estate, I have a lot more to learn,
3: obviously. So I ended up leaving that role um, as, a,
4: as a project manager for that software company to be an analyst for a real estate investment firm, where I was there for a while, really working from that ground-level analyst up to ultimately leading their acquisition team. And they did really much of the same what we do, which was, at the time, multifamily value-add in the Southeast right. Center construction where they're, you know, you typically, I'll say, 15 to $35 million deals. And that was, I I think, especially at first for us, the foundation that we're really able to tap into from a relationship perspective more than anything else. So property managers, brokers, had all been exposed to me and seen whether or not directly me as the owner, me as the the leader, leader of that acquisition. I think it really allowed us to get a few good looks and deals over the last few years that I think were pretty unique and compelling to get us moving and running on the business
3: starting side.
1: So you're saying you were able to reuse some of the connections that you, you know, garnered when, when you were working full-time, but for your own purposes now working for your own business. Exactly.
0: And to sync up your timelines here. So you were working full-time as spearheading acquisitions for this company. Donato was working full-time on the project management side for a construction company. How quickly did this all come together with the XE and what did the sort of like initial nascent stages of it look like? So when, when did we really? We probably came together about three years ago. Okay. I, I left a little bit before Donato, maybe a little less than a year ahead of them. When you guys had gotten together that fateful night, you guys were you were already doing this on your own and you're you were attempting to, to bring not along for the ride? Josh was doing it on
2: his own. Um, he, you'd done a couple deals on your own already. I was working full-time. Then When we put together our business plan, really we said, hey, we're going to test run this and see if we could put a deal or two together while I'm working full-time. So we did that over the next six or eight months. And the day I got my bonus the next year, I told, I promised Josh that I'd put in my papers and quit. And uh, everyone at my company was like, what are you, crazy? You just, you just got like the highest rating possible in a review and we just give you a raise and you're working on the Google project, the best project in New York City right now. And I was like, I understand that. I really appreciate the opportunity, but I'm going to go chase my dreams.
0: That's great. So no, no apprehension on your end?
2: All because of the other guy on the uh, other end of this line, Josh. So I always <laughs> give him credit for that.
0: He must be convincing.
1: So Josh, what, these, these couple of deals that you did on your own, what sort of deals were those? Were those the same that you're doing now or different in caliber?
4: I'd uh, say so the big, the, it's really science-driven, um, the big difference. I mean, I've, I've done a couple of 48-unit deals, 80-unit deals. Uh, and, you know, that's all ten million million, really, more so in like the $5 million range. So, you know, it was. there's only so much I think you can do as a a single individual, and I I really think there's a benefit, like you guys know, just I think for efficiency, gut check, and just overall progress and growth that you can do as a single person, um, you know, I thought it made a lot of sense. With us coming together more than anything else, was just
3: complementary and very different backgrounds and skill sets. Whereas we're getting kind of two Joshers and two to try to say stop the same puzzle.
1: Were you from the very beginning saying, I'm just going to invest, Josh in your case, your own money or your collective money? Or were you thinking I'm going to be raising money from, you know, friends and family investors? Or like, what, what was the thesis of that?
3: It was always going to be raising
4: money. We always invest in every single deal that we do. However, I, I think we're both big believers, especially... I think in real estate in general, there's a big benefit efficiency-wise to scale uh, in the way that you operate or manage your deals, whether it's a portfolio of deals or it's one large, large deal. You know, I don't think anyone can really argue against that. So it was always a path for us to just have money. And it was always our initial well extended friends, family, coworker base that's really supported us and invested and reinvested and successfully to get behind us.
3: Is
0: there anything that's stuck out or that you've learned about yourselves along this journey now a few years in that you did not expect going into it? And start with you, Donato.
2: I'll tell you what Josh would say about me. (laughs)
0: Let's hear it.
2: That's probably better. Every time we uh, come up on a deal, I'm always the one. Oh, yeah, but this is a great deal. But where are we going to get the money from? (laughs) <laughs> and josh is like just open up that rolodex and start calling people will you and uh it, it, he usually forces me to do so and uh we usually find new clients whereas like josh is has no problem getting on the phone i'd say i'm a lot more you know shy and timid uh in that part of the business and josh is you know i don't want to say aggressive because he's not aggressive but he's just not shy about getting on the phone telling people the opportunity and getting out there so I surprised myself uh, about the money that we're able to raise and Josh just expects it.
0: <laughs> Same question to you, Josh, I guess from the lens of what you would say about yourself or what Donato would say about you.
4: Um, that you do just to restate the question that we do well
3: or not well.
0: Or not <laughs> something, something that you've learned about yourself or that's kind of surprised you about the journey that you may not have initially believed would be the case when you jumped into it a few years ago.
3: Similar sentiment to Donato's. And my example probably wouldn't be on the money side, but
4: just on the deal side, that it's really a, a pushing to the unknown. That when you're going down the path towards a deal, there's a leap of faith that has to be taken where we're going to commit to it and, and jump. And I think, you know, even the last deal that we did in the wake of uh, COVID and all the variables and everything, we just pushed and kept pushing to the unknown. So I, I think that's. A part of it. I mean, how would you guys that question? It's a
0: tough. One. <laughs> I think it's similar in that I definitely have a tendency to overanalyze things, and before giving the yes to something, I generally try to think through every single conceivable scenario and make sure that there's a contingency plan in place, or at least a plan of action on how to attack it. And I think John is a little more eager to say yes to something than I am. I'd say on on average, and. I think by being attached at the hip, I've developed more confidence in our ability to just execute, regardless of whether we know exactly
1: what's going to come our way. Yeah. I think I would say for myself, just that there's so much value in just diving into something and and doing something. I think for a while, I assumed that the people that do certain things in say real estate were like these big professionals that had like, you know, a hundred years experience, whatever, you know, 30 years experience doing this type of thing, like whether it be construction or financing or whatever else, but you can learn so much just by getting started and doing it. And maybe you won't be the world's expert in it, but just by spending time doing it, you can glean so much knowledge that you can speak, think thoughtfully of it, speak thoughtfully of it and execute on it. I think I didn't expect, you know, when I started this venture, we run a, a construction management business, a property management business, all these things that I had very little experience in. I didn't expect that, just by diving into it, I would become kind of an expert at some of these things. I'm curious as to how you guys decided, I, I think you've mentioned it a little bit, uh, why you focused on multifamily properties in the Southeast, but is there more to it, uh, Josh, than just that that was your prior experience at the company that you worked for? Yeah, you know, I don't know
3: that Tomo was
4: even fully committed to that strategy when we started day one. Uh-huh. I think it took him doing his own research and uh, coming up with a... Similar conclusion, and I I think we could even say that the strategy, when you dig down a little further, it's it's evolved and it's maybe a little more defined than it was even a few years ago for this with this specific profile of deal that we we'll look at. But in terms of the southeast, it, you know, a lot of it's just demographics driven. That you know, we
3: everyone I like, think reads a lot of the same reports that the smile states in the south. There's a lot of growth across. Even you know from Phoenix
4: all the way through to North Carolina uh, of just people wanting to move there for you business from the environment, the weather, portability. It, that it's just gathering people from all ages, and that's struggling yeah. to grow. So I, I I think we really believe in it for that reason, but secondarily, and why we picked Southeast. Is um uh, just proximity. Like we're going next week, even we're jumping out to go to Charlotte. Um it's a day it's a day trip, and we can do that very effectively and be out of our property monthly on an ongoing basis, you know, without completely blowing up our our schedules and do it very efficiently.
2: I I w don't want to underemphasize the uh day trip ability, I'll call it. Both of us have young kids at home and we and me specifically, I, I was Josh was more comfortable and I was a lot more nervous investing away from home because anything I'd ever done and all the owners I'd ever worked for, you know, invested on an island, you know, of 23 square miles. So it was very important to me to be able to, hey, if something went wrong with the property, we could get on a plane, get down there, if not the same day, the next day, and also be home, if not for dinner, you know, to put the kids to bed.
0: What kind of challenges have you guys faced? I assume you guys are relying on pretty heavily on a, on a local team down there, given that you're there maybe once a month. What Have you guys had any particular issues with either management or maintenance or the cities, anything like that?
2: I'll start that <laughs> one off. I think recently, for us, it's been COVID, COVID, COVID. We're batting like 100% in our portfolio of our leasing managers who have gotten COVID. Oh, wow. <laughs> so... Uh, we see a lease not getting done and then we're calling our property manager and then they're like, Oh yeah, we were about to call you. So and so came down with COVID. So there's no one in the leasing office right now. So then we're we're battling all the other operators in, in the local area to uh, grab staff from that property manager to make sure that our property is covered. I think that's been a huge challenge lately. I hope that we get through it quickly. And we've been doing the best that we can to make sure that our property managers are paying attention to us and giving us the staff we need while our staff members are not able to, uh, you know, be at work.
0: How have you guys gone about staffing these properties and coordinating with different management companies? Are you inheriting management from the previous owners? Are you tapping into Josh's existing network of people used in the past or trying out new things with each property?
4: So we are typically changing management companies. Any deal that we're buying, we're going to want to make some improvement and likely change it from how the prior owner was operating it. So at a minimum, the management company is changing. As far as the staff, we we always are going to interview the staff,
3: mainly to just gain whatever information that we can. Whether or not we keep them on, it really depends on the situation.
4: Our most recent deal, we kept on the leasing manager but replace the maintenance person but it's situational i I actually prefer the opposite to uh retain the maintenance person um at least for a short period of time because they typically know the the property and skeleton and everything there right and then often a leasing person is is, may go hand in hand with the the property change or rebrand etc
1: just ask about like the logistics is i I know a lot of our listeners uh and ourselves included are interested in you know starting their own real estate business whether just them alone or with partners or whatever are so are you guys you guys are you know full-time doing this do you have other people that work full-time with you Uh, do you have assistants virtually part-time people like how how does that look like for your company right now
4: it's it's us that are full-time we obviously have our third-party managers and and teams behind them which i don't want to under-emphasize full accounting teams and marketing teams that we're able to leverage. We do have some, I'll say, like part-time accounting slash bookkeeping help. But really, day-to-day from both a asset management and acquisitions perspective, it's Donato and I that are on it full-time.
0: And what do your days typically look like? Are you dealing with issues at your existing properties? Are you underwriting deals? Are you working with lenders, fundraising, combination of things, I assume? Right now we're at the end of um,
4: well we're at the end of the following month of a quarter, which is when we do all of our investment updates um, across each of our deals. So we are I'll say today, tomorrow and Wednesday, we're doing just live webinars and, and reports and really just being available. But on the typical given week, I'd say it's I know, maybe 50% asset management,
3: 50% acquisitions. Some
2: it's put between both of us. Generally, the rundown is Monday morning. We um, set aside some time. Where we go through each and every deal, and we go through problem areas and things that need to get done, just to create a framework of the asset management work that we need to do for the week. And that kind of sets the schedule of where we need to be, and you know what we need to focus on. Some weeks we'll have more time to look at new deals, and other weeks we. Uh, You know, our list by the end of Monday morning is so long that we're, you know, just trying to get
1: through those items. Do you guys have specific roles in the business? Like, uh, Donata, you always do this or don't ever do that? Or is it more fluid? We try to have specific
2: roles. I would say, but both of us do a little bit of everything. Like Josh is definitely the lead on acquisitions. I'm definitely the lead on call it renovations and construction management. But in general, asset management, Sometimes Josh writes up the agenda for our uh, invest, our uh, management calls. Sometimes I write up the agenda. Sometimes Josh is talking the whole time. Sometimes I'm talking the whole time. So we're very much interchangeable in uh, that aspect of the business.
1: Well, I was curious to ask this question. And obviously you don't have to answer, you know, with uh, specific numbers or whatever, but something that I get a lot asked is, you know, I want to go into real estate, but I'm not really sure how. I will make money in real estate except by, you know, taking a percentage of rents or something like that from the properties. And sometimes it's not particularly, you know, lucrative, particularly when properties are being stabilized. How do you guys compensate yourselves from this business? Is it, do you take money from managing other people's money? Is it from deals specifically, other sources of revenue?
4: No, I think that's a great question. And we're happy to talk numbers or percents. I think this business and the syndication world is, Similar to private equity in a lot of ways, um, but we're we're paid at least on a deal basis in three different ways. So one, we'll get paid an asset management fee, which for us ranges between one and a half and two percent of collected income every month. So you know that's not a uh, get rich fee. It's probably what is it a couple thousand dollars a deal probably, um, and it's really meant to keep the lights on and really just cover our Overhead for day to day work as we manage these deals. Um, we do take acquisition fee, and that's also one and a half to two percent of the purchase price. And that's obviously for just the work in putting together the deal for to cover for a dead deal costs. That's not really our. Um,
3: it's not something we get rich off of either. To make it.
2: usually half or more of that we invest back into the deal, so mm-hmm. we get taxed on taking the full amount, but never ever does nearly the full amount come into our bank accounts.
4: And then lastly is just the carried interest. So carried interest, we have structured it in a number of different ways over the past few years, but I think we've fallen into really the same box now where we're always offering, and carried interest is basically the sponsor's share of both cash flow and profits itself. So now we're doing a preferred return on every deal we do. So investors receive a 7% or 8% preferred return, and then anything after that is split a 20 or 70, 30, depending on investment class. Uh, so we keep it pretty simple, really, with the sentiment of big investors ahead of us protecting their downside ahead of our upside.
2: I think another way to answer the question, though, is if you're looking to go out into this business on your own, the rewards can be plentiful. But they're not gonna happen in one year, two year, three years. They're gonna happen as you start selling properties. Right. So you need to have a mindset where you're gonna be really lean for at least the first, you know, call it four or five years of operation because you're investing your acquisition fees and the asset management fees are really pretty, pretty low when you add them all up across all the deals. Like no one's getting rich off of those by any means. So you're really gonna make the money. If you do well on the project and you sell at a good price, then that's when everyone gets to high-five each other. But before then, you got to live lean.
1: So are you guys just at approaching that point where you're selling some of your assets? Or have you are you waiting to reach that?
4: Yeah. So, I, I mean, one of the deals sold this year, um, and then that, that was reinvested into a project we closed in Atlanta. So it was nice to see something come full circle, um, we made like a million dollars of profit for that investor that came around and reinvested it all over again. So great. now that it's starting to compound and we're getting through that, that first wave, call it, uh, I'll say it's, it's, not, it's never easy. But I, I think it's a little bit more exciting as, as we're seeing that start now.
1: That's great, guys. Well, why, why don't we take a pause here to, to finish part one um, and we'll come back with part two, which I want to delve more into the specifics of how you guys invest and how you look at deals and maybe we could talk about a specific deal or two that you guys have done recently. Um, but for all those listening, I, I just want to thank you guys so much for taking the opportunity to talk with us. If people want to communicate more with you guys, what's the best way to, to reach out to you or to find out more information? Sure. So- dxuproperties.com is our website. You can contact us
4: and actually just schedule time directly on our calendars. I said it before the call, we're, we're just happy to be resources, whether it's someone that wants to do this on their own learn more about us. Um, I think that's how we've seen it, pay it forward and just want to offer this in.
1: Thank you guys again. And thank you everyone to listening. This is the Brick by Brick podcast. If you're interested in this content, we'll be back with part two we'll delve more into the nuts and bolts of the business but uh, for now thank you so much for listening
0: thanks Josh thanks Donato thank you guys don't forget to visit us at brickxbrickrealestate.com for free content to help you along your real estate journey and to follow along on our projects subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast app and engage with us online via Facebook Instagram LinkedIn and brickxbrickrealestate.com. See you next time on the Brick by Brick Podcast.